0: You are listening to Unchristian, a three-week teaching series from Jubilee Church. This series looks at some of what non-Christians think of Christians and the intensity with which they hold these views in the hopes of equipping Christians to be better able to express the love of Christ to our generation. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileesTL.org. At Jubilee, uh, we are very uh, passionate about sharing the love of Jesus uh, to this next generation. Uh, not because we woke up one day and said, hey, I got a good idea. Why don't we do this? And, uh, but, but actually what happened is that God broke into our lives. He broke into our hearts. He healed us. He loved us. Uh, he captured our affections, and that's what our fellowship is, is about here. Uh, uh, we're not primarily joined together because we, vote, because we vote the same, look the same, act the same, uh, you know, have the same hobbies. That, that's not what joins us together, but what joins us together is that we have this common experience, and that is we were once... Uh, going this way and going that way, but God arrested our hearts, drew us close to him. Uh, we, we experience his love, we experience his grace, we experience his forgiveness, and now we, we have this passion for other people uh, to experience that as well, to, ha- to experience what it's like to be forgiven and set free and have this new identity. So, uh, And for the last 17 years, that's what we've been about, and people have walked in one by one, and they, they've experienced forgiveness. They experience Uh, that acceptance. They've experienced community. So those who may not have brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers have come into this place, and now they have brothers and sisters and fathers and and mothers. And uh, so seeing this message of God's love and how he's gathering this family is a really big deal to us, and we want to project that uh, message to this world as loudly as we possibly can and and project that message of love. And in order to communicate that kind of love to people, uh, one of the things that's really important is that you, that you really get to know them, that you really get to understand uh, culture and society and not be isolated uh, from that. You know, when I was, uh, before I was 23, I wasn't a part of, you know, the church community, so I was very uh, aware of what it was like to not be a part, but you know, I've been, after 15 years, you, you those thoughts begin to uh, slowly become a part of your past. So it's helpful to reignite those things. I know with my wife, I love my wife, but i I don't always do things and say things that communicate that to my wife. So the more I get to know her and understand her, the better I am at expressing that love uh, to her. So that's the same thing in, in in terms of loving the world and loving culture and trying to bring this this gospel there is to be aware. Aware of what culture, uh, how they think and how they understand. So I'm always really attracted to books that help me understand culture and know culture, uh, especially those that have commentary on what those outside of the church think of the church. So I I came across this book called UnChristian a few uh, years ago, and it just like totally punches you in the gut uh, in a good way because uh, it just it's just really a, a raw uh, actual. Collection of what those outside of the church really think about those inside of the church, and um, and so the, the, there's really seven major. Ne- By the way, spoiler alert: it's not good. Okay, um, just you, in case you haven't read the book, it's not good. And there are seven things that are that are these negative views, and I, I want to look at the top three over the next few weeks. So we 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 just finished a series. Uh, in the book of Colossians. We were there for 24 weeks and now we're going to take just a short little stop here, a little topical series and then hear from John Lanferman and then we're going to get into the book of Acts uh, for the fall. Um, But we're going to take the next few weeks to look at these three big uh, negative uh, perceptions of the church and that is number one, the church is hypocritical. Number two, the the, the church is anti-homosexual. Number three, the church is is judgmental. And so today we're going to look at uh, what it is to be, you know, why, they, why, why, um, why people think outside of the church that the church is hypocritical. And what I, we want to do is we want to look at the Bible. We want to look at Scripture, uh, particularly what Jesus has to say and say, was Jesus perceived as being hypocritical or was he perceived as being judgmental? And if we as Christians, if we live out what Jesus says, is that going to be true of us? Because the reality is... Um, you know, we, we're not looking to live our lives based upon what, how we think we should live our lives. And we're not interested in living our lives based upon what other people think. So just because someone has a criticism doesn't mean that, oh, okay, we'll, we'll change. But actually, we want our hearts and lives to be molded and shaped by, by God and his word and Jesus. And so uh, that's what we're going to do. So according to this book called UnChristian, I, I recommend that you read that book is 85% of those outside of Christianity, so this guy did lots and lots of research of those that he would call those outside of Christianity, and 85% of those that he uh, asked this question that actually knew other Christians. So this just wasn't just, hey, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? But question number one, do you you know a Christian well? Yes, I do. 85% said that they think the Christians that they know are hypocritical. Now, to be hypocritical is to say one thing and do another. That's the basic definition. If you look at the Greek word of of hypocrisy, uh, it's a theatrical term, which means to wear the mask. So that's what you do when you're an actor is you you wear a mask. You, You pretend to be somebody that you're not. Now, let me just be really clear. The entire world... Uh, the world is full of hypocrites, like everybody is a hypocrite. The world is full of hypocrisy, uh, especially in our uh, day and age where we're just so image driven and, and we're hyper individualistic and, and all of our self-worth is tied into, um, well, just ourselves and how people perceive us to be. And so we are ferocious about protecting our identity and how people think about it. That's why our, I mean, we're, that's why culture, uh, uh, Facebook is just explode. Things like social media explode because we have this opportunity to create this image of what other people can see. So, everybody on Facebook, we all want to show our pretty parts. We all want to say this is who we really are, and and talk about the good things. And so, whether that's Facebook or Instagram, or as my friend Travis calls it, Insta brag, and we just want to project that that image out there. So, um, the only way though that that we're ever going to stop being hypocritical is if we learn to die to ourselves, which means that we don't really care about our own self-esteem and importance. And I don't see that ever, ever happening broad-based in our culture. So hypocrisy, culture-wide, is here to stay. Now, my question is, why are Christians that way? Because fundamentally... Christians are those who say, I, I, I'm, I, I am flawed, I, I need the grace of God, um, I'm coming to him because I'm a terrible leader of my life, and I want him to lead my life, I've royally messed up, and and, I'm, and he's the answer. So there, in becoming a Christian, there is a dying to yourself. So Jesus says things like this, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross, and let's go. And a cross is meant for killing things. And so Jesus or Paul said things like in Galatians 6, um, I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. And so my question is, is, so yeah, yeah, hypocrisy is out there. So it's not just like Christians are hypocritical knowing it. No, everybody's hypocritical. But why is it that, that Christians are? And here's my main point because I'm going to, this is a little bit different message, and if, and if I kind of go off on a tangent, you know and I just want you to know what the main point is so i 'm going to say this main point i 'm going to say it several times here in the beginning, because i 'm going to start going here and there, and if you get you feel like you need to leave and i don 't blame you, but I just want you to know what i 'm trying to say, just in case I start saying something, and you 're like that 's not what you 're trying to say, so anyway, here it is. This is my main point. Anytime, anytime you define your walk with Jesus by external actions and not humble reliance on his grace and power, you have set yourself up perfectly to be a hypocrite. Anytime you define your life, your, your sense of self-worth, so I don't even, would just go outside the Christian world. Anytime you define your sense of self-worth by external actions, and not a humble reliance on his grace and power, you have set yourself up perfectly to be a hypocrite. Because what does Jesus say? So in the passage that we're looking at today, um, Luke 11, he talks about woe to you you Pharisees. Because you, just, you, you clean the outside of the cup, but you ignore the inside of the cup. You're very careful to obey the rules. You're very careful... Uh, to pay attention to external actions, but you ignore the inside. So, like, you know, I don't know about you, but it, half the time, you I put dishes in the dishwasher, they actually get cleaned, right? Is that do I just need a new dishwasher? But I don't know it happens a lot. And so, like, the cu- outside of the cup will be clean, but sometimes you look in there, and there's like peanut butter or something in there in the cup. It's kind of funky stuff, and you don't want to drink out of that cup. I mean, you could get sick. Now, if the outside of the cup is a little bit dirty, that's okay, but if the in, it's the inside of the cup that's really important to get clean. And what Jesus is saying is like, man, it's the inside that makes you sick. It's your heart condition that makes you, it's not external behavior, it's, it's the internal, and you Pharisees are only uh, worried about what's on the outside or how you are perceived. Um. And then he says, look, you've got to care about both. So he wasn't saying, hey, look, it doesn't matter about what you do. I mean, there's this, there's this thing now, I think, where it's like, oh, you know, you know, you can do whatever you want if you're you know, a Christian. No, he says, you, you need to pay attention to the outside of the cup. You need to learn. You need to do both, but really putting the priority on the inside. And then he says this, woe to you lawyers also. This is the last verse we read. Woe to you lawyers also, for for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourself do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Sorry, that's not the verse I wanted. Here we go again. I'm actually going to go off the map here. Chapter 12, verse 1. I know we didn't read that. Um, by the way, the main point is anytime you defined your life by external ask, actions and not humble reliance on his grace and power, you have set yourself up perfectly to be a hypocrite. Okay, First, chapter 12, verse 1. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together and they were trampling one another, like some, you know... Lollapalooza deal. He says, he began to say to the disciples first, beware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he's saying, hey, you need to beware of what the main point here is making this all about external action and not about internal. So how do we get off? Well, there are, you need to know a little bit about history, about how America has gotten to the place that it's gotten. Because um, people say dumb stuff like, man, we're a Christian nation. A, cri- a nation can't be Christian. Okay, only people, and we 're all human beings here. Human beings are the ones that have only a human being can be transformed by Jesus to where they want to love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. A, a nation can 't be converted. there is no such thing as a Christian nation. there is no such thing as Christian music. there is no such thing as as Christian hobbies and Christian hair and Christian jeans and Christian you know, amusement parks, and there, there is no such thing as that. Only, so what happened though in our, so people say, th- so anytime you hear someone say, you know, we're, we need to be a Christian nation again, that, stop listening to that person because they don't know what they're talking about. Because there there is no such thing. But here's what happened. Very early on in our history, in the early 1700s, we had a revival called the Great Awakening. And it was a crazy, crazy time. And um, all of the the commentators uh, on this this happening said that the effects of it and the consequences of it were large and tumultuous. Large because lots of people were affected, tumultuous, because crazy things were happening. Because when guys like Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield were preaching in open air, and the power of God was falling on people, and hearts were being changed, conviction was felt so heavily that people thought the ground was swallowing them up. So they started climbing up trees, and it was just this confusing, crazy time. Like when you read the book of Acts 2, where it's like, you know, wind coming in and, you know, are these people drunk? And it was just this hectic, hectic time. But what happened out of that was massive, massive heart transformation that led to societal impact. So one of the Uh, the societal impacts that happened from the Great Awakening were democratic thought and free press and, and of course, the freedom of religion. These things, uh, what happened is hearts got changed. There was this internal transformation that led to the societal impact. Well, you fast forward 100 years to the early 1800s, there was a second revival called the Second Great Awakening. And that was, again, marked by mass conversion. And it also had a a big societal uh, impact. And the two most notable things was uh, it was the beginning of abolishing slavery and giving rights to women. Now, I just want to make sure you heard that. What what led to the abolishment of slavery and women uh, having rights and being treated better wasn't enlightened people from Harvard saying, hey, maybe we should not have slaves and hey, maybe we should treat women differently. But it was a Mass revival, hearts being transformed to the gospel, becoming obedient to scripture and saying, Hey, we got to end slavery and we got to treat women better. So it came from that massive societal impact, which everyone's grateful for. Now, in the late 1800s, there was a third revival called Guess What? You're never going to guess. The Third Great Awakening. So, so brilliant. And so, anyway, so that happened. More individual revival, and it, it didn't just hit America, because they were saying, hey, maybe there are other nations in the world, and it's great what's happening in America, we're going to take, so mass um, missions were taken all over the world, uh, and there was this, this thing called the Civil War, which um, was obviously a bloodbath, but there was, there was a lot of society th- transformation that came out of, of this individual impact uh, and that's where kind of the social work kind of came into play. So things like the Salvation Army and the Red Cross and the YMCA, all these things were initiated by individuals, not a nation, but individuals transformed by the gospel. And then you get into the last mid-century, into the 50s, there was another, the Fourth, uh, the fourth Great Awakening, led by guys like Billy, Billy Graham and uh that a and, and massive amount of people and denominations uh churches were planted, denominations were created and um and this is where the 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 number of Christians in our society like tipped over, and now the majority of America were christians and this is where things went bad um this is when there was What what spawned out of individual conversion? There was a behavior that came out of this, and this moral sense of right and wrong that came out of genuine heart change, began to dominate um, the landscape, and where there was really no difference between culture and and Christianity, which is called Christendom. And so, and again, this is where things went badly. If you read actually history, you you see that kind of American history followed how the gospel started in Acts with this crazy event. Tons of persecution, but, you know, the gospel kept spreading, spreading, spreading. Massive societal change until finally in 300-something A.D., uh, the, you know, the Roman empire said, forget it, we're a Christian nation. And then that's where Christianity went into a dark time. And the same thing happened in America where, because what happened is, is once uh, society... By the way, it's not all bad that most of society become Christians, but what happened is the focus changed from we've got to keep preaching the gospel, we've got to keep seeing individual transformation, to we've got to protect this environment. So now the goal of the church was to create this utopian environment this, this where the Judeo-Christian ethic was live and kicking. And so now we cared more about whether or not where the Ten Commandments could hang and not hang. We cared more about if creation was taught in school than whether or not kids and teachers were actually transformed by the gospel and let me tell you the main point again anytime you define your walk with Jesus by external actions and not humble reliance on his grace and power you have set yourself up perfectly to be a hypocrite so practically what was happening is it was because everybody wants to be a good person there is not one person who's ever lived who wants to not be perceived as being right Who wants to be perceived as saying, I am living the life that I should live. We all want to be right. And so what was happening is you had people who were claiming to be Christians even though they weren't because that was perceived to be, this is how I project myself as a good moral person. In fact, there was a time where you could not be president unless you were a Protestant Christian. I mean, you couldn't even be Catholic. I mean, you know, Kennedy, I mean, that was... That was the big, like, wow, a Catholic can be president. It was a big, big deal because this was the environment. And so um, so you had this thing. Uh, so so what what's going on here? It, when people say we are a Christian nation, they got confused because they began to think, like, well, okay, they, yeah, once God powerfully moved in this country. But somewhere along the line, we stopped making it about the gospel. We started making it about external action. And now we're trying to protect this uh, this environment uh, that was, I guess, easy for Christians to live in, but it was detrimental to authentic, genuine, true Christianity. And so here's what happened. Society turned on this. So the 60s, 70s come around, and, and that's what happens with an ungenerated heart is, is it loves to sin, And so now all of a sudden the church is like, oh, my gosh, we've got to do something about it. So I know what we need to do. We need to remind people that this behavior is bad and this behavior is good. And if you do bad behavior, you're going to go to hell. So it's like if you keep doing that, if you keep listening to that music and if you keep uh, going down that road, you're you're going to go to hell. And so people did the um, mental work of, hmm, eternal damnation or not. Now I realize I'm just eight years old, but yeah, I'm gonna think I'm gonna go with no eternal damnation. And so you have all these people responding to this fear-based religion, uh, but it wasn't actually having hearts. And, and so we just and it just that became the thing because they were trying to protect and make it about external actions, and then the 80s and 90s come along, and just like, well, the church isn't relevant anymore, so let's be relevant, let's help them with their finances, let's help them with their kids. Prosperity gospel, all these kind of crazy things come along into the the, the being, but what all what we the church had focused on is external action. So, uh, so Christendom over time is, is, has has faded and it's on a downhill climb. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Just think about TV shows. So when I was growing up in the 80s, on Thursday nights we watched the Cosby's, right? We, the Huxtables, they were in our living room, and so, and what happened in those in those shows, if you can remember, is that there was a there there was a moral lesson. So whether it was Theo going sneaking out, getting drunk on vodka at some party, or you know maybe Vanessa or Denise lying to their parents to hide up the fact that they got bad grades, Um, and then at the end of it, Bill. Cosby would sit Theo down or sit Vanessa down, and there would be this moral lesson. And then that's true if it was family ties or uh, growing pains or even full house. I mean, my kids are watching, love watching reruns of Full House, and it's all about this moral lesson. And at the end of it, it's, it's this. Good kids don't get drunk. Good kids don't lie to their parents. Good kids don't do these sets of behaviors now, that's not TV shows today. TV shows today are totally different. I mean, you watch Mad Men. Donald Draper, he gets drunk out of his mind. He goes, sleeps with some woman who's not his wife. He wakes up the next day. He goes to work. He goes home to his wife, kisses her, and the, and the show's over. There is no moral lesson. There is no, I feel guilty about this. There is no, this is never going to happen again, I promise. It's just the way that life is. This Christendom is declining. Now, I want you to know the difference between Christendom declining and Christianity, because I actually think Christianity declined a long time ago. We're just now coming to grips. Our, 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 our music. 30 years ago, for whatever, you had to code music. You couldn't just come out and say it if you had something to say. So it's skyrocket in flight, afternoon delight. It's not about tea and biscuits, guys. It's about, it's about having sex. Right? If you had something to say like that, you had to code it. Today, it's, I kissed a girl and I liked it. I hope my boyfriend don't mind it. Because back then, you couldn't just have a song that said, hey, let's have sex in the afternoon. That you had to code it. That's not true today. Or the ever classy, you know, my humps, my humps, my humps. It's just out there. You wouldn't be laughing if you didn't know it. So why are you looking at me like you're just judgment? Man, I I don't know why people think. Presidential election. Now, I'm not... I'm not saying anything bad about Obama, so just be still. <laughs> but January 12, 2013 was the first time in that, par- that kind of parade of religious people in robes and funny hats come up. It was the first time in our history that a member from the evangelical church was not asked to be on that stage Actually, the guy, there was a guy asked. His name was Louis Giglio, who's from uh, this pastor in Atlanta, who's like, if the, among all of the fraternity and pastors, I mean, he would win like most huggable. I mean, he's just this really nice guy. Besides preaching powerfully, preaching, he, um, he's, he's raised millions of dollars to free sex slaves, which is no wonder why the Obama administration wanted him. But within 48 hours of that invitation going out, It was found that 20 years ago that he had the audacity not to edit the Bible. And he said that marriage is between one man, one woman for life. And under the pressure of our society, he was removed from that stage. Now here's the thing. Here's my point. Don't get lost in politics for a second. Here's my point. Christendom is dead. You see, 50 years ago, it was considered a good thing to say you're a Christian, and that's why people said they were, even though they weren't. Now you have the opposite. Now it's, I'm a Christian. <laughs> it's, it's not perceived. If you want to be a good person in society, you don't come out and say this. Now, I don't think this is a bad, I think this is a good thing. I, I, I think it's a good thing, because I think it's finally the 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 air is clear for us to make the bet the, the the main thing the main thing um, let me catch up here real simple magazine um i don 't read real simple by the way this is my wife's i read like field and stream and uh, this is, yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a Pinterest account, all right? Now get off me. <laughs> I just feel better <laughs> just being honest about that. Okay, 2002, which is 10 years ago, or 11 years ago, or 10 and a half years ago, the, this is, they, they did a, they did a, a, a layout of all the Major religions, so Christianity, uh, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all that, Catholicism. And under Christianity, this is what they wrote. This is what the, the writers wrote of what Christians believe. Christians who follow the Ten Commandments and live by Jesus' example win eternal salvation, are spared from the torments of hell. Christians who follow the 10 commandments and live by Jesus example win eternal salvation and spared from torment. So you're like, "Where do where, where do they get that from? Why don't they do the re-? you know they did their research. You know where they got this from? They got this from us. They got this from us. Because this is what we've made Christianity to be. We've made it about external actions. And does somebody remember my main point? Because I don't. It was... Ex- it was ex- I have to look back at it because it was so long. You don't... Anytime you define your walk with Jesus by external actions and not humble reliance on his grace and power, you have set yourself up perfectly to be a hypocrite. And this is the message. And so this is what people think. This is what people think Christianity is. Um, they, in this study... Of thousands of people, they they said every year, born again Christians failed to display much attitudinal or behavioral evidence of transformed lives. Christians were just as likely to view pornography, steal, consult a medium, physically harm another human being, get drunk, lie, take revenge, and gossip. The only activities where Christians were distinct was owning more Bibles, going to church, and donating more money. 84% of those outside Christianity say they know another Christian well. 84% of those outside of Christianity say they know another Christian well. But only 15% of them said they see a significant difference in their lifestyle versus the norm. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What was the leaven of the Pharisees? They only, they only cared about the outside of the cup and they did not clean the inside of the cup. They made it about external actions and they, neg- they, neglected, they neglected the heart. We have become Pharisees in our society. So Jesus comes down the scene And you've got these Pharisees Pharisees were people who were very reverent. They were very sincere. They really wanted to honor God. These weren't people who were just up to no good. They really had in their minds good intentions. But the way they went about things is they made sure that this environment, that people obeyed the law. That people obeyed the law. Which actually on one hand is confusing because Jesus says things like, in order to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. Which is kind of like, well, who can go? And he says, well, it's impossible with man. But what's impossible with man, is possible with God. It's about you trusting in me. It's not about you believing what, in my life and who I am, and about what I can do. So he says, you just look, You just care about. You just care about the external. You don't care about the internal. In verse 44, he says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without even knowing it. When's the last time we've been portrayed positively out in culture? Or, I mean, it's, or a punchline on late night TV. Jesus says, A salt that loses its saltiness is good for nothing except to be trampled by men. People walk over them without even knowing it like unmarked graves. There's nothing, to, there's, no, there's nothing pointing to the fact that there's a something different going on here. Well, how can that be true? How, how can a Christian be that insignificant because you only care about how you're perceived and you don't do the hard, painful work of examining your heart is why. <laughs> I love this. And one of the teachers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us. Should have kept his mouth shut. I mean, I would have been like, I, Jesus, I try to tell them and they just wouldn't listen. And But here's the thing, man. Gen- genuine love speaks. Genuine love confronts and that's what Jesus was doing. He says, woe to you lawyers for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You've taken this simple message of it. Like, see a yoke when Jesus says, "Come to you know, come to me. My yoke is easy." A yoke wasn't like a farming equipment. I mean, it is, but that's not what he was talking about. A yoke was someone's teaching. It's like you've made this teaching. You've made a simple gospel complex and difficult, and you've just ignored. So you're you're very careful to even you tithe off your spice rack. I mean, you're like very particular. He says. by the way, he says you should do that. Tithing is not a bad thing. Doing these things are not a bad thing. But you've neglected what's really important, and that is the motivation, which is generosity and love. So let me give you a few things, how not to be a Pharisee, how not to be a hypocrite. Number one is you have to be transparent. You have to constantly... Martin Luther said all of life is repentance. Martin Luther said that the the heart is curved in on itself. And if you're not constantly saying, "Hey, this I, I feel my heart drifting, my heart drifting, my heart drifting." And all you're all you're worried about is did I come off bad? Then you're just you're you're guaranteed to be hypocritical. You're guaranteed to be like an unmarked grave that people just walk over when you're meant to be salt and light and make a difference. So you need to be transparent. These guys weren't being transparent. Jesus was able to see into the intentions of the heart. You're full, he said, you're full of greed and wickedness. So are you being transparent? I, there's a period last fall i just noticed myself getting irritated by things not happening the way they should happen and um and it, it was it was it was good and right stuff in the sense of like you know um you know people i work with you know there's responsibilities or whatever and things weren't happening the way and i just found myself getting extraordinarily irritated And, you know, my kids got yelled at, and they didn't deserve to get yelled at. And, um, you know, I had, you know, arguments with my wife I shouldn't have had. And I just began to think, like, man, what is going on? And uh, I just, this thought, God gave this thought to me, and I just began to think, like, the way I've set things up is I've, i I've stopped paying attention to my heart and I've stopped, there's there's somehow self-centeredness creeped in and it was no longer about me being a servant to people, but it was about me like expressing my authority, whether that's at the house or or here. And and I, I didn't know that. I mean, I wasn't like walking around. I didn't think I was, but I just had this thought of like, I'm having to do stuff I don't have to do, and I don't like it. And I had to wrestle with, but Jesus said, "Hey, I'm master and servant, and I'm washing feet." And I just got—I just noticed my heart drifting, and I—and so I I told the elders, "I was like, hey, guys, you gotta—you gotta know about this." Now, no one came up to me and said, "Hey, you did something. You know, you flew off the handle at someone. Why'd you do that?" I mean, none of that happened. The outside of the cup was clean. Or as clean as it usually is anyway, I'll say that much. Okay, so <laughs> nothing different than normal. But, but the inside was a mess. And you just have to look at You've got to be transparent and accountable. And, and you have to, you know, and there's fear in that. Because people are going to find out that you're not perfect. And that's scary. And it's really hard to do when all of your life is projecting an image. If all of your life, your, your worst nightmare is people will find out who you really are. If they really know who I am, they won't love me. So it's hard. Pursue love and justice. So that's what he says. He's like, you know, you, you, need, to, you need to pursue love and justice. You need, to, you need to care for people. You need to love for people. And so if your life is just about what you have to do, and it's about acquiring knowledge, 1 Corinthians 8.1 says that knowledge puffs up. It makes us feel better. Knowledge, the I think it's the NLT version, Uh, New Living Translation, says that, you know, knowledge makes us feel important, but love is what really matters. So if your whole life is about consuming Christian information, there I go again, you know what I'm saying. Listening to joy, you know, FM, listening to sermons, reading Christian books, doing Christian things but it doesn't lead to you laying down your life for other people. It doesn't lead to generosity. It doesn't lead to you giving of your time, but it's just about receiving knowledge. You are guaranteed to be a hypocrite because the very information you're taking on, you're not putting out there. You're pretending to be someone you're not. So you need to learn to pursue love and justice. And finally, don't run from a rebuke. He, the, the lawyer said, man, you're insulting me. And, and he ended up, he laughed. He's like, I, this guy's crazy. I don't want to be insulted. I don't want to be rebuked. I don't want someone to tell me that I'm not doing what's right. I'm, I want to keep this sense of self-importance. If you want to run from being a hypocrite, man, love rebuke. That's why the proverb says, better re- rebuke from a friend than sweet words from an enemy. It's the fool that despises the rebuke. I know I messed that up, so don't worry about it. We'll later. <laughs> I chopped the verse up, but it's close. And now you lost my train of thought. Um, you, yeah, you need to not run away from a rebuke. And, and that's why we're not transparent. It's because we don't want to be rebuked. We want someone to tell us that we're awesome, just the way we are. I mean, that's, the gospel is we're not awesome, but Jesus is. And he restores my soul. And He leads me by still waters. And He gives me peace. And He gives me identity. And He gives me love. And He gives me importance. And He gives me relevance. And He gives me purpose. I get all that from Him. I don't need to go out and pretend to be somebody I'm not. Because He gives me those things in abundance. With Him, I know that I'm completely loved. With Him, I know that I'm completely accepted. And so we can be humble. Humble. We can, we can be humble. We can say, yeah, we, we, we do make mistakes. We, we make mistakes all the time. You know, because people s- say things like, you know, well, Christians don't do this and Christians don't do that. But it's been my experience in nine years as a pastor that Christians absolutely, absolutely do do those things. And they don't do that. Whatever that is, they do it. So to say that that's not what Christians do is A, a lie. But B, it's miles from the gospel. Miles from the gospel. So here's what we need to do. We need to, we need to be transparent, which has everything to do with one another, community. He says later in chapter 12, what gets whispered in secret needs to be shouted from a rooftop. You need to be willing to take those dark secrets that are in your heart and let other people know about it. The only power that sin has in your life is when it's kept in the dark, when it stays unconfessed. When, when the light comes in, it goes. The only power that sin has in your life is the power you give it, which is by actually ignoring it and saying it's not there. That's why in 1 John it says, those of you who say I'm without sin have no fellowship with me. What is he saying? He's saying those of you who act, who never repent of sin, who never confess, who are never transparent, who never say there's things going on in my heart are those who have no fellowship with me because they started believing something that has nothing to do with the gospel. So here, church, we need to own our history Um, We need to to own that we are perceived as being hypocritical because of uh, the the history of of the church. And we need to beware, as Jesus says, the leaven of the Pharisees, which is live and kicking today. And that happens when we make external, when we define our Christianity, when we define our Christianity by external actions and not internal transformation. Why don't you grab your cards